Good evening. Does anybody know what day it is today? Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Excellent. So I'm kind of curious here, um, how many people, and I want you to show it with a, maybe a applause and by standing up from your seat, how many people go to public school? All right, just hang on, hang on, I want to see you, I just want to see how many people, excellent. All right, sit, sit back down, okay, how many people go to Christian school? You're truly proud, well done, that's excellent. Thank you, Alexander the Great. How many people are homeschooled or are you not allowed to come to camp? <laughs> it's really funny. How many people consider themselves athletes? Excellent. How many people consider themselves artists? And how many think that they are musicians? Excellent. And how many people have no idea what they're good at yet? You guys can't keep standing up over everything. It's not even funny. It's excellent. <laughs> That's fantastic. You see the diversity that God has kind of implanted and placed in this camp? Is that not cool? And what we've been learning and what we've been watching is that we know and understand that Jesus is the one that stands in the middle of his churches. Jesus is the one that stands in the middle of the individual situation and he is very acquainted with everything that we go through and all of the things that we participate in. And we still, to this day, cannot be fully convinced in that way. We often think Jesus is, again, very much like this new video. Excellent. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. If you can put up the uh, picture of the map on the screen, that would be fantastic. There we go. Excellent. Now, I don't know if you can see it very well, but as you're turning uh, in your Bibles, um, the, the little, uh, the words in red in the center of Asia there is the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, and in particular, they go, I, would, I don't have, oh, that's awesome. Pointer. Look at that. You see this? This was Ephesus here. So this is the beginning of the mail route. And so this is the island of Patmos. Okay, so this is about 40 miles from Ephesus to Patmos, okay? And this, so this is where John is writing the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is where Jesus meets John. And interestingly enough, Jesus basically turns a prison into a sanctuary of his presence. Jesus turns a prison and the, the place that John's in into a very special place of encounter because that's who Jesus is. And so you'll look here just for fun. These are all real places. Some of them have had their names changed, but they, they go along a mail route here. So if you were sending a letter, they would bring it in a boat and they'd go do-do-do, walking on the sand, and they'd go all the way around this way to Laodicea and they would end at Laodicea, okay? 
So we can leave that up there if you feel like it. Or you can take it down if it's distracting. So what we're going to do is I'm going to explain. Uh, uh, we're going to read from uh, the book of Revelation. And we're going to read in particularly uh, the, the story or the letter of Smyrna. And here's something that I want you to kind of know before you get into this. Um, this is the only church that's still in existence today. All of the other churches are gone in that area. And this is the only one that is in existence today. And so it's been in existence for thousands of years. Pretty crazy. So if you ever wanted to take a traveling trip, you could be in that same church where they read this letter from the Apostle John. Incredible. The place is called Izmir now, and it's the third largest city in Turkey. And it is a place that has experienced incredible persecution from the beginning of its existence. And you're going to find out that that is actually a part of why it became the longest lasting church. And the one that listened to the voice of Jesus in particular. Okay, so we're going to read this. So what I want you to do right now, and I know it's been beneficial for many people in this room, is I'm going to read the scripture over you. And what I want you to do is not be distracted by the person next to you. I want you to pay attention to the voice of Jesus and imaginatively consider or feel, the way I'd like to describe it is fill your face with the words of scripture, the images of scripture, so that you can train your heart and that through the power of the Holy Spirit that he will reveal himself to you by hearing the words, that by seeing these images, you will learn to hear the voice of Jesus. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And something very special about the gathering of God's people in this place is that there is a unique sense of God's presence when we corporately gather. There's a unique witness of the Holy Spirit in a way that will never again happen in church history. We get to experience and participate when we gather in a fresh new way because Jesus is alive and he is absolutely moving through his spirit in revealing who he is to us. And so I want you to hear the words of scripture and I want you to pay attention to those things that we talked about. What is being revealed about who God is and in the kind of what do you see? And then where does your heart turn in that? How does it grab you? If this is who God is, if this is what he is promising, if this is an image that he has described himself as, then what is our application? How do we let it go deeper into our heart? And then moving to our feet, then what does our movement in life look like as a result? What we never, ever, ever want to be as Christians is people that merely hear it or we can recognize it really quickly and never let it move to our heart. But as Christians, especially going to camp kind of Christians, we can easily see and let it go to our heart and it grabs us, but then we never do anything with it with our feet. We never move in the momentum that Jesus has given. And Jesus reveals things at a particular time for a particular purpose. And it's all a part of his building and his growing and his drawing. But you can just as easily check out or you can pay attention very carefully and listen and not get overwhelmed by the fact that you haven't seen anything because it might come to you as the sermon goes along, okay? So we're gonna do that together. So if you wanna close your eyes while you do this, we'll have the words up on the screen and we're gonna begin reading in Revelation chapter two, starting at verse eight. 
And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And then reading of Jesus' words to the church of Philadelphia says this, chapter three, verse seven, while we're still paying attention to what Jesus is speaking to us. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, you have set, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come down and bow before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and out of my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now I'm gonna go back to the church of Smyrna and I'm gonna read it from the message while you're still paying attention. It says this, write this to Smyrna, to the angel of the church, the beginning and ending, the first and the final one, the once dead then come alive speaks. I can see your pain and poverty, constant pain, dire poverty. But I also see your wealth, and I hear the lie in the claims of those who pretend to be good Jews, who in fact belong to Satan's crowd. Fear nothing in, in the things you are about to suffer, but stay on guard. Fear nothing. The devil is about to throw you into jail for a time of testing, 10 days. It won't last forever. Don't quit, even if it costs you your life. Stay there believing. I have a crown, I have a life crown sized and ready for you. I have a life 
crown-sized and ready for you. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. Christ conquers. Christ conquerors are safe from devil death. And so Jesus, I pray right now that you would reveal yourself through your word. We thank you that your word speaks to us even now. And may we hear with fresh ears. May you awaken our heart to be overcomers, perseverers, those that see you in the midst of every day, those that are awake to your words. And may you reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so hang on to something that you heard. If you have a question about something that was read, hopefully some of it will be answered. I can't cover the whole of the letter because it's obviously very long. But remember this, is that the letters in the Middle Eastern language, uh, in the Middle Eastern type of writing, is in a form of an argument where the biggest main point is found in the fourth letter. And so then the pair of them that are creating two subcategory points and a lot of different similarities are Smyrna and Philadelphia. And the one that we're going to target the most tonight is Smyrna. We're going to deal with that. And if you want to, you can call them Smurfs. I don't know how to shorten their name, but it might work for you. They definitely weren't little blue people. But Smyrna... Here's an awkward thing that we have to deal with, with Smyrna, okay? Let me tell you a couple uh, different things about Smyrna, and then we'll deal with the awkwardness. Because I don't know if you heard in the world of what Jesus just spoke, but the two churches that are parallel, Philadelphia was told they are going to be exempt from a time of suffering. And did you hear what Smyrna was told? that they were going to go through suffering. And now enters the dilemma of the Christian life. The dilemma of the Christian life is how come some things happen to some people and not to other people? How, how come pain and suffering is something that Jesus allows or seems to allow? Why do good things happen to good people? In fact, so many people have wrestled with this question. People have tried to make arguments surrounding it. And the arguments surrounding it have looked a little bit like this. That if God is all powerful, then he must not be all loving. Because surely if God was all powerful and he was all loving, then he would stop the pain that people are going through because he can. One famous Jewish scholar actually wrote, said that if God is all-powerful and all-loving, then he must be indifferent towards the suffering that each of you and I go through on a regular basis. He must not even care. And he must just think, it'll be okay. And a lot of people don't deal with pain very well because we think it's through very subjectively. And then by God's grace... Pastor Jerry revealed a word tonight about Jesus healing that very area in people's hearts. And I believe that's, that word is going to continue to unlock as we progress. 
but this is the church of Smyrna. Can you imagine being that church, hearing it? Because interestingly enough, all the churches would have heard the individual letters to the churches. And they would have been able to hear, seriously, Philadelphia gets out of it and we get into it? Because one of the biggest similarities about those two churches is both those churches get zero, zero critique or you've done this wrong words from Jesus. I forgot to tell you last night that actually in the Greek language, when you're reading through this, all of the corrective tones are not like a very angry Jesus talking. They actually have a little OS at the end of them, and so it's actually a tone of compassion, and like I said at the beginning, an invitation. It's saying, hey, here's your evaluation. You've been doing this wrong. Come on in. Come on close. Come towards me. I'm going to make you overcome. I'm going to invite you, and I'm exposing this because you don't even know. Because the worst, most unloving thing that you can ever do for someone is know that someone is on a trail to do something terrible with their life and say nothing. That's the most unloving thing that you could ever do to a friend of yours and we think, well, I can't really judge them or I can't really comment on their life. If they're doing something that is going to damage them and you can stop it, you are being more unloving by being silent than by pursuing them. The very nature of love is intensity. And so Jesus is very intensely inviting. But these two churches get absolute commendation, props. Hashtag, these ones rock. Like, the way you could probably read it is, if Jesus did tw uh, tw uh, Twitters, tweets, go easy, okay? I also do Twitters. If Jesus did tweets, and if he did Instagram and things like that, he might post something like Smyrna, Philadelphia, hashtag favorites. Hashtag favorites. Hashtag, who wants to do another one? Hashtag besties? <laughs> hashtag love these guys, hashtag awesome. Hashtag boom. <laughs> if Jesus was writing this kind of a letter today, it might sound a little bit like that. But now get this, okay? Because this is the dilemma I need you to enter into before you hear fully the words that Jesus is speaking. Smyrna gets hashtag your favorite, hashtag favorite, hashtag awesome, hashtag bestie. Philadelphia gets those same hashtags and then the next thing is hashtag sucks to be you, Smyrna. You're going to get rocked. <laughs> and then hashtag Philadelphia gets off scot-free. Hashtag, hashtag exempt. You know, one time my teacher decided to, um, in, uh, in high school, my teacher decided to um, test the, the, learn, like the, the students in the class uh, with how much do they read the instructions of the assignment. 
I don't know if you've heard of this kind of thing happening before, but this very same teacher, this very same teacher never read any of our assignments. And this is how we knew, is because I used to work very hard. I was one of those like classic geeks that would just try to get A's because I thought it was a great idea. And so I would work very hard for this teacher thinking I'm going to impress him with my hard work. And then one of the smartest girls in the class who also got a higher grade than me, told me the secret of how to get high grades with the teacher. And this was her secret. Start with a really good introduction, a really good first paragraph, and then say whatever you want. Just make sure it's a whole bunch of information. And they would actually, what she would put, and what a lot of people would put, is stuff like this. I think you're the dumbest teacher on the planet. If you ever read this, feel free to flunk me, because I really don't care. That would be in their paper. And I was, I'd be like working so hard going, seriously, you put that in your paper? This same teacher got wind of that and decided to do something back to his students. This same teacher wrote in the instructions of a uber, uber long test. Test was like this thick. And he wrote in the instructions, he wrote a lot of instructions. And within the instructions was, if you took the time to read these instructions, sit here quietly, pretend like you're filling out the test, look frustrated afterwards, and give up and hand in nothing, and you get 100%. Guess what I got to do? Look frustrated, look stressed about the test going, oh my goodness, because I read the instructions and I was like, oh my goodness, this is so hard. I quit. Gave him the test, 100% for me. You know what most of those people that were cheating all the time did? They like filled out every single thing trying to pass. And they all failed. <laughs> is that not an awesome story? Hashtag winning. So then, so then basically what would be happening here is as Smyrna is listening intently to the words of Jesus, Philadelphia across the way, as you saw, Philadelphia across the way would have maybe been tweeting to Smyrna, hey, we got good props from Jesus. <laughs> and, then, and then Philadelphia would have said, hashtag winning. Because Smyrna was told that they were going to go through a time of suffering. Okay? And the word 10 days, just so you know, is human completeness. Okay? In the Bible, the word 10 means human completeness. So you look at, you have five fingers, five fingers, put them together, that makes 10. It's a form of human completeness. And so Jesus is saying, you are completely going to go through the perfect amount of suffering. <laughs> can it, can it, that's definitely not the Jesus that's playing hide and seek on you, right? I just told you that so that you'd leave me alone. No. This is the Jesus that stands in the middle of his churches, very aware and acquainted with the griefs and the pain of what is going on. And he says, you're going to go through the perfect amount of suffering. Now, the word suffering in this actually uh, kind of would bring up a crazy image in the minds of anybody that heard it at that time. The word in the Greek is thliplet, thlipless. Can't even do it. Don't make fun of me too much. I'm gonna, my throat's dry. Anyways, I won't even do it. The word in the Greek means a crushing weight. 
or extreme pressure. The picture that you would have in your mind is somebody with a giant boulder on them crushing them to death. Can we handle this, Jesus, yet? Jesus is saying you're going to go through the perfect amount of time of a giant crushing rock pressing into you to the point of death. You okay so far? Can you let your imaginations go there yet? Crushing weight, crushing pressure. I remember one time being tackled by Ivan when I was a teenager. <laughs> and uh, and we, were, we were playing, um, we were actually playing um, uh, the game where all the tubes are in the middle, Tube Mania, Tube Mania. And uh, hashtag, hashtag I used to be super cocky. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and by God's grace, he decided to humiliate me and practically give me a concussion. So uh, when I was, I was just being super flirtatious and fun and just like showing off as best I could and, and just kind of, our team was dominating in two mania. We rarely ever lost. And I guess I didn't notice out of the corner of my eye, Ivan coming trucking through. And he was running at full speed, apparently, or so I'm told. And when all of a sudden, when I was like being all cocky and I started doing like a, um, I don't know, I was winning in two mania, so I had a bunch of tubes. And then I decided instead of just running across the line, I would run backwards across the line. And that was the point when I turned away from where Ivan was. And Ivan came, it was actually at my right side, Ivan came at my right side and the next thing I knew was nothing. And apparently I lost all those tubes. <laughs> and then I was dragged off and I was like, oh my goodness. And you can just go hashtag humiliated because apparently I'm not that tough. And so <laughs> when he knocked me out, that was like a crushing weight because you know what actually happened when I woke up? He was on top of me. <laughs> that was a crushing weight. Can I, can I just remind you that Ivan has not grown since he was a teenager. He's always looked like that. <laughs> I didn't always look like this. And, uh, and so he, he crushed me. And so you know what? Actually, whenever I read scripture, often Jesus just puts images in my head. And that is one of those images that I remember because that was a experience of a crushing weight. A crushing weight. So anyways, moving on. Smyrna. Smyrna was, hurt, was told by Jesus, you're going to go through this and you're going to have to go through it really well. Now, what Smyrna would have to do at this point is remind themselves of where Jesus is. Remind themselves of where Jesus is and remind themselves of who Jesus is. Two things you need to remind yourself when you're going through this kind of a thing. Is number one, Jesus was not calling out from a distance going, Oh, look at you sinners. You're just going to go through pain because I don't like you. Jesus wasn't saying that. He's standing in the middle saying, you're going to go through something, but guess where I am? In the middle. The Bible speaks of Jesus in Isaiah saying that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted, familiar with grief. A man of sorrows, acquainted with with grief. And doctors will tell you that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the amount of pressure that was on him, 
the crushing weight of the emotional stuff that he was dealing with before he was going to go to the cross actually burst something in him and that's why he sweat drops of blood. And say that only those going under, that are under extreme pressure and extreme anxiety in that kind of a place could ever sweat drops of blood. But it is possible if you get there. So you're talking about the Jesus who is very familiar with this kind of situation. Very familiar with pain and very familiar with the stuff that he is telling his church. And isn't it exciting that he tells the church that it's not going to last forever? You know, my, one of my most favorite things is I'm doing a lot of running lately, as much as I possibly can. And one of my most favorite things is this Nike app that tells me how far I'm going so I know I'm not going to die. Because one of my worst things is running with my brother-in-law who is a professional soccer player and can outrun me any day and he tells me we're going to go for a run and we're running but I have no idea how much longer we're going to run for and so then I feel like giving up because I don't know where the finish line is. Jesus says there is a finish line. There is a time when it's going to stop. It will not last forever. Will you trust me? Stop being afraid of what you're about to go through. Look at me. Look at me. And so the reality of what they are about to go through is incredible pain. And this is not incredible pain. This isn't the common kinds of pain that we go through in an everyday thing. This is a result of the kingdom breaking through in our lives and the pressure that is associated with it. And this is something that the people in Smyrna would have known as being absolutely, they'd be familiar with it. So remember I said that they need to know who their Jesus is? Right at the beginning, right at the beginning, he reveals who he is. And he says this about himself, okay? One second. He says this, the words of the first and the last. Remember the word last there means that like the beginning and the end, this kind of a moment of the inherent destiny of us all, of where we're going who died and came to life. And let me tell you again, just to continue to highlight the historical reality of this, is that Smyrna, the city of Smyrna, was leveled a couple different times by earthquakes. And it had many death and resurrection experiences. So once again, Jesus is speaking specifically to the geographical, the place where they live, situation that everybody was familiar with. And Jesus saying the first and the last, historians will tell you that they were obsessed. This city was obsessed with the word first, like the Laodiceans. They loved it. And so they actually were a rival city, and they had on their coins, they had first city of Asia in size and in beauty. first city of Asia in size and beauty. So they loved the word first. So when they heard the word first, again, they'd be familiar with that. They had Olympic games and they were very popular. And some of the most famous poets that we have ever read about, including Homer, not Homer Simpson. That really is, it. is Homer Simpson not, that, anyway, it doesn't matter. Not Homer Simpson, but Homer lived there. 
And one of my most favorite kind of historical characters that is not in the Bible, but a disciple of John the, Bapt- uh, John the Apostle, uh, a guy named Polycarp. That was his home church, his home place. And so, and I'll tell you more about Polycarp at a different point. So, this reality of what they were about to go through and what they were about to suffer is framed in the Jesus who knows everything that they are going through. And Jesus also highlights one more thing I need you to kind of know. Jesus also highlights the fact that they were poor, that they're going to suffer and they're poor. And you know what? Smyrna was, again, one of the richest cities in the Roman Empire, very, very wealthy. And only the Christians were poor. The Christians were very poor because they were doing Christianity well. They were not buying into the Roman Empire worship of Caesar being Lord. There was a common thing that was taking place. The emperor at the time when John was writing this, his name was Domitian, and he initiated this new rule that you could worship anybody that you wanted as long as you worshiped him as Lord and God. And you would have to worship him by taking a pinch of salt and putting it on the altar and saying, Caesar is Lord. And Jesus attacks that very thing saying, no, Jesus is Lord. And the Christians in Smyrna were not doing that. And so the Jews of that day were attacking the Christians. Because many Christians were once Jews from this historical context. And they were turning in their brothers and sisters. And they were burning down the businesses of Christians. And they were absolutely beating on Christians and they were excluding them far more than just getting excluded from a basketball game they were being excluded from every portion of life and as a result they became very poor but they were hanging on people very familiar with pain and suffering and so Jesus writes particularly to this city in a very powerful way and he entrusts them with something close to his heart. And he says this, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. And that crown would have instantly reminded them of the ultimate crown that you get when you win the Olympic Games because they didn't give Olympic medals back then. They gave a laurel wreath, which was a big crown. And they knew that if they did that, they would be winning. Hashtag winning. Okay? So let me tell you about the guy Polycarp who came from that place as an example of this. Polycarp was a, 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 a disciple of, uh, the, of John who's writing the revelation of Jesus Christ. And his name means fruitful one, so we don't know if he changed his name. But he was, he's somebody that I hope I have the courage to be one day. He was 86 and preaching the gospel. 86 and preaching the gospel in such a way that the Roman Empire decided to take him out. And they wanted to destroy him. And so they went and found him. And they, and the, People will say that he could have escaped, but he just went, you know what, whatever God wants, I'm in. And they brought him into the midst of the arena. Anybody ever see the movie Gladiator before? Things like that, know anything about Roman history of the arena? And he was being threatened by being eaten by wild beasts. 
And so the actual, the picture of what took place is that in the center of the arena, in front of everybody, they dragged in an 86-year-old man. And they told him to renounce Christ. He might have even been a little older than 86, but this is what he said in front of everybody. And he said a bunch of stuff. But he said, 86 years I have served him. How could I blaspheme my Lord and my God? And with that, they decided instead of feeding him to the lions to burn him. And whether it's true or not, some sources will tell you that the flames went up in almost kind of like a sail-like fashion and they wouldn't consume him and so they had to stab him to death because this guy wouldn't die just like John. And you know what happened at that time? Again, this is not in the Bible. This is in historical records. But you know what happened at that time? Right before he was about to die, there was a lot of other Christians that were fearful about what they were about to suffer. They were fearful about what they were about to suffer. And what Polycarp said to them was, you watch on my face if I'm actually suffering at the hands of these men. Watch at my face if I do not look like I am worshiping my Lord and my God. And you know what they all watched through the flames? A man worshiping his Lord and his God. In front of everybody, as these flames encompass him, he is worshiping. And you know what happened to all of his other disciples? They got a shot of courage. They were ready for whatever came. Because Jesus is good, and even in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, he can turn all of that into worship. It's all worship. So let me tell you something about pain. Pain and worshiping in the midst of pain is only in this life. Therefore, you get an opportunity to do it really well. Have you thought this through before? That worshiping in the midst of pain and giving Jesus glory in the midst of the greatest suffering that you could ever imagine, you're only going to get one chance to do that. Because in heaven, apparently at the end of Revelation, there is no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more sickness. There's no more death. There's no more night. There's no more hunger. There's no more thirsting. There's no more fear. And so this life is the only life that you have to worship in pain. And many of us, surprisingly, have gone through a lot of pain. And it's one of our biggest hindrances to will we trust Jesus. And so I'm going to finish this with two stories. The first story is about a guy in the Bible named Job. Hey, And a guy in the Bible named Job is a crazy story. And a lot of us, we don't know how to deal with Job. But let me just tell you kind of what happened to him. Job was doing his normal thing in his normal way, and he was an upstanding, godly man. And he had seven kids. He had seven, he had seven boys and three girls. And a lot of property. And 
the way it works is that what you need to know about the story of Job is that Job never once finds out what is going on. Only we, the readers, know what is going on behind the scenes. And the behind the scenes thing, because I'm going to deal with this because it came up in both Smyrna and Philadelphia, the behind the scenes thing is Satan apparently talks to God and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan goes, yeah, he only loves you because you bless him and he's got an amazing life. Remove his amazing life and he will curse you to your face. And God's like, let's play. Crazy. This is behind the scenes. Job was never a part of that conversation. Isn't that exciting? And he never is. And so all of a sudden, Job is doing life and he gets a report that all of a sudden his fields, every one of his properties has been destroyed by a marauding band on camels. And they, run, they, they stole all their stuff and they killed the servants that were out in that field. And then before he has time to think about what's really going on there, he gets another report that all his cattle, his oxen and his uh, lambs and, 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 and all of his stuff is taken again by another band. And then he gets another report from another servant that barely escaped and said, your children were at a party, they were hanging out, and a whirlwind came and killed them all. A tornado came and killed your children. And then Job gets plagued with boils. And we find Job sitting and in a garbage dump with broken pieces of pottery, scraping himself, and being in the worst form of pain you could possibly be in, he had no ability to comprehend what was all going on. And he desired to deal with God in this. And we hear Job beginning to offer up his complaint. But then Job reveals something very quickly in the story, or the story reveals something very quickly about Job, is that Job all of a sudden lets go of all of the circumstances that are going on, and we never hear about them again. His biggest issue is with God at this point. And he has awesome friends that are going through what awesome friends tend to do when someone's in incredible pain and they decide to preach to Job about why he's going through pain. And they decide to tell Job all of the things he needs to do to fix it because obviously he's done something very wrong because the theory in that day and in that time and even in our day is that if we do good, God will do good to us. Well, how could this happen to me I've been doing good. Why would this happen? And we find ourselves partnering with Job. I just want to check the time. Partnering with Job when we say, partnering with Job's friends rather, when we jump, when a, a situation happens in our life and we jump and we go, why me? I just want to know why me? How come this has to happen to me? We're partnering with that idea that I've been pretty good, and so how come I have to go through this kind of pain? I don't get it. 
And Job rejects that idea from his friends. And he goes, no, I'll show you. I've been good and this has still happened to me. Because Job's friends were trying to tell him that he must have done something wrong. He better check himself. He's obviously got to repent of his sins because Jesus is just going to Jesus is going to destroy his life if he doesn't repent. And so he's, he's attacking that, he's in that struggling place because we have that feeling, like I said at the beginning, that if God is all powerful and all loving, how come he lets bad things happen? Or how come bad things happen? Did you know that suffering, truthfully, is only really a problem for Christians? Now, every, no, I don't mean that non-Christians, people that don't love Jesus, don't go through suffering. But it's a huge dilemma for Christians. Because it's a big dilemma. It's not just, why do bad things happen to good people? It's, how does bad things happen to people entrusting their lives to a good and loving Savior? How do bad things happen to people that are entrusting themselves completely, trying to follow Jesus in everything? How do bad things happen to us? And how come we're allowed to go through that stuff? And we struggle in so many different ways. And the problem of pain is a massive hiccup or stopping point for most people as they pursue Jesus because pain is a barrier and they go, yeah, but I just can't understand. How come this happened to me? How come this abuse took place in my life? How come this rejection happened in my life? And we all have this kind of pain. And so Job looks at another, another way. And what he wants is God to explain himself. Like many of us probably do. You see, by God's grace and in his divine ability to see things, there's a very precious family in this camp that just lost their cousin to suicide and they just found out about it today. A very awkward and painful situation has taken place in this camp. Now, no one in this camp committed suicide. It was outside of this camp, but those inside of this camp just found out today. And I had permission to explain this. But here's how good and interesting Jesus really is. Is that I was going to be speaking about this topic tonight anyways. And now it just got a whole bunch more real. At least it did for me. And it can for us. Because pain and suffering is a big deal. And it's a big problem. How do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? And what you need to know about the story of Job, and I want to repeat it, is that Job never once finds out the behind the scenes things. He never once finds out what we the readers, if you're familiar with the story of Job, I don't have time to go into the whole thing. He never once is told by God why he had to go through what he went through. Because you know what? If we were told at times why 
We have to go through certain things. It might make it a little bit easier. We're like, oh, you know, God would just kind of saddle up beside Job and go, Job, you know what? There's going to be an entire Christian camp of kids one day, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, and they're going to really enjoy hearing about your pain and suffering. <laughs> oh, if it was only that, I guess it's okay. You go, oh, Job, Christians for thousands of years are going to use your story and they're going to find courage to go through suffering because of your testimony. Oh, shocks, God. Thanks. I guess I could go through it a little bit. Could you, like, ease off the boils a little bit, though? This is getting a little bit... Like, I see, I, I don't know if you know what boils are. Like, I, I was going to bring a picture, but it would kind of make you puke. No, no. No, no. It's just relax. Just imagine them. They're just gross. So Job is never, never told, never told why. You know what the story of Job reveals? All of a sudden, okay, pay attention to this. Job lost his children, seven sons and three daughters in a whirlwind. In a whirlwind. And do you know how God appears to Job when Job is ready to encounter him? In a whirlwind. Oh. Now you need to pay attention to this. A whirlwind took away his children. And God speaks to him in the midst of his pain through what looked familiar to what caused his pain in the first place. And his healing came through the place of his pain. His restoration came from the place of his pain. And he had to step into that place of dealing with the God who would show up in a whirlwind. Deal with the God who would show up as a reminder of the very thing that caused him pain in the first place. And God entered into that space and said, I'll talk to you now. And Job reveals something so precious in that is all of the individual situations. What Job does not do when he meets God in the whirlwind is begin to list off all of the reasons why he's in pain right now. Job gets God. And in that moment, God is enough to override and overcome every form of pain that he has gone through in that moment because he needs God. And Job's story proves that God is enough. In fact, the book of James says that Job was written to show the mercy and loving compassion of God. And Job seeing God and hearing God's voice and understanding it's so much bigger than just him and his individual situations, he realizes that God is both perfectly powerful and perfectly loving and perfectly good all the time. And it wasn't because Job did anything wrong. In fact, it was because he did everything right, just like the church of Smyrna. The second story, and David, you can come on up here. The second story that I want to leave you with tonight is a story of a guy named Peter. 
And Peter does something very interesting. Peter is pretty excited about getting props from Jesus at one point. And then he rebukes Jesus the very next moment, it seems. And then Jesus says to him later on, Jesus says to him, Peter, you're not going to follow me unto death. You're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, Peter does the classic throw all the other disciples under the bus. The classic just like, he instantly in that moment goes, yeah, right, Jesus. This is my paraphrase. Doesn't say it quite like that. But he goes, yeah, right, Jesus. He goes, all of these people here, all the other disciples, including John, <laughs> like all these ones here, they might deny you, but me, not a chance. And Jesus goes, no, before, before the end of that day, you're going to deny me three times. And so then Jesus is taken and he is being beaten and Mark one of the followers of Jesus, the one that wrote Mark, that was friends with Peter, actually runs away naked at one point. You can find that in the Bible. When all the disciples scatter. So Jesus gets arrested. Peter chops off a guy's ear. Jesus says, we're not doing it that way. Heals the guy's ear and goes off with them. And every disciple scatters. And one of them scattered naked. Pretty funny. It's a great story. And like, sorry, that's in the Bible. So can we just handle this for a minute? It's why we know the Bible's true. There's no one that would write a story about themselves and say they ran away naked. Like if I was writing an autobiography, I wouldn't tell you that story. I might tell you I shaved my legs. Would not tell you that I ran away naked. When, maybe I will tell you that story. So I was in camp and then, no. <laughs> there is, so, no man. But all the disciples scatter. Okay, all the disciples scatter. And Peter trails along like a boss. And he's, he's just going to go in there. And, uh, and he goes into the area where Jesus is being held. And there's a campfire there. And he decides to warm himself by the campfire. And Peter is, is hanging out there. And a little servant girl comes up to him and goes, Hey! You follow Jesus too. You're one of those disciples. And Peter freaks out at this little girl and goes, no, 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 no. It's not me. I don't know the guy. And then another servant girl comes up to him and goes, no, you've been with Jesus. You are one of his disciples. And out of fear, Peter goes, ah, uh -uh, I don't know the guy. And then, Another guy comes up to him and says, no, for sure, you were one of those disciples. You were with Jesus because his accent was giving him away. And it's the way he talked was giving him away. And then Peter calls curses down from heaven on him and just goes, no, which was a huge deal. And he goes, no, I don't know him. And then apparently a rooster crows and Peter locks eyes with Jesus or something like that, however it works. And Peter just goes, oh no. One of those like, oh no moments. Where you realize you just walked into the worst possible nightmare ever. 
And Peter, the Bible records and says, uh, he went away and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. And Jesus then gets crucified, dies, is buried. Three days later, rises from the dead, historically proven resurrection. And then something interestingly takes place. And helpfully, that video kind of helps because apparently the story of what happens with Peter is the disciples are all there and they don't know what to do because apparently Jesus has risen from the dead, but they're not really fully convinced yet. And so Peter goes, I don't know, I'm going to go fishing. Dun, 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 dun. Who wants to come? Come on, Andrew. And they go fishing. And then one of my most favorite stories in the Bible, and I'm going to end with this, takes place. Jesus is there on the beach cooking them breakfast. And Peter, as awesome as he is, who apparently at one time walked on water, hears John say, look, it's Jesus. And he puts on his clothes, because apparently he was naked, and he jumps into the water and swims. He throws himself into the water and swims to the shore. And he meets Jesus, the resurrected, living Lord. And he meets Jesus at a campfire. And Jesus had built a campfire and was cooking them breakfast and around a campfire he begins to restore Peter into his rightful place and he begins to bring Peter back into fellowship and intimacy with him and he does the famous Peter do you love me and Peter goes you know I love you and then he says, then feed my sheep. And he says it again. Peter, do you love me? And he goes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? He goes, Lord, you know all things. I love you. He says, feed my sheep. And the same amount of times around a campfire that Peter denied Christ Jesus restores him around a campfire. And here's what I've pulled out of that. And I wish I could go into lots of different stories about my own life when it comes to this. But there's enough pain in this room for me not to have to prove any more points. Here's what I believe Jesus does in particular. You have the story of Job and you have the story of the Smyr Smyrnas, Smyrna people, Smurfs. You have those two stories of those that have done nothing wrong and still go through pain. And then you have the story of Peter who's done everything wrong. In fact, the Bible sure doesn't show that he's done much right. And yet Jesus restores him. And the two themes that I want to pull out of there for you tonight is that Job is encountering Jesus in a whirlwind, the very whirlwind that took away his children. And Peter 
encounters Jesus around a fire, the very fire that he encountered the greatest level of pain that he had ever been through. And here's something I know about Jesus. When Jesus starts moving towards you in the place of your pain, often, as Jerry said, you can smell it. Often you can feel it. Often you get a flashback and it's that flashback that causes you to go, I don't want to go there again. And Jesus says, come here. I'm going to show you where I am in your pain. I'm going to show you where I am when you are all alone. I'm going to show you where I am when you were bawling your eyes out while someone was doing something horrific to you. I'm going to show you where I am because I am the Jesus who is in the midst of your painful circumstances. And so tonight, this, this has been one of the biggest struggles of my life, understanding how does Jesus meet us in our pain and how come we have to go through so much pain when we haven't done anything that we know necessarily that's really wrong especially the pain of what's been done against you. And like you guys, I'm very acquainted with a lot of different types of pain. And I know this to be true about Jesus, is that to move into healing into from that pain is he's going to invite you into that space and he's going to encounter you in that space and he's going to redeem that space. And often your very calling and initiation of what God has for you will be in finding how he has released you and healed you and restored you in that place. And I believe in particular tonight, Jesus is going to encounter you in that space if you're ready and if you're willing to come into that whirlwind, come into that fire and understand this isn't the God who's speaking from a distance but the God who's speaking beside you. You know one of the hardest revelations on the planet is to actually come to terms with the fact that Jesus is in the middle of what we are going through. You know, sexual abuse victims, you know, that's like the most painful thing on the planet. But can I tell you that there's hope in the midst of that? That what's been done against you, Jesus will show where he is in the midst of it. And you will have to come to terms with, is he enough? Are you going to trust his goodness that he will work out for good even the worst situations you could ever find imaginable? The stuff that takes your breath away. I've been in those situations. I've been in those places where I cannot breathe with the amount of pain that is taking place, the crushing weight that is taking place by finding information out about something that is taking place, something that hits you so hard and you're just like, I just, I just can't breathe. And then we find out that that is a familiar space that Christians have gone through since Christianity came into being. 
that that is a familiar space that Christians get to occupy. And it does not mean that you don't grieve through it. And it does not mean that you like any part of it. It means that you encounter Jesus through it and trust that he will work even that out for good. And it's not like he's going to work it out for good the next moment, the next day. A longer term view of in light of eternity and all that he has done, you will never stand before Jesus when you see him face to face with the list of your complaints, with the list of stuff that's taken place in your life, with all of your problems. You will not stand before Jesus and say, how could you let this happen to me? You have no idea what I went through. Because you're going to meet face to face the Jesus that has the scars of the cross and his arms wide open welcoming you into his presence. And he will stand there with his arms wide open, moving towards you in complete love as he takes your breath away. Because you will know in that moment he is perfectly good, perfectly lovely, and he is worth everything. And in the book of Revelation, there is a strange verse that Jesus will wipe every tear from your eye. And you know what I think I can prove in the Bible is that those tears are not because you've gone through so much in this life. Those tears are going to be when you see him face to face and you see how good he is and how amazing he is and how wonderful he is and you're like, oh, you are that good? You are that amazing? You mean that pain you enabled me to get through and you worked it out for this good? this much good because when we are looking at our individual situations and our individual circumstances and we're looking this far it looks pretty bad it looks incredibly difficult But when you see from his perspective and his overwhelming love that is coming towards you right now You can stand in that space and trust him in the middle of your pain. And that is one of the greatest acts of worship, of praising in the midst of the pain and the suffering. Because remember, you only get to do that in this life. And I have never encountered Jesus more powerfully than when I have encountered him and he decides to open up my heart, open up my life and go, I'm going to deal with that pain tonight. Like, uh uh-uh. No, I don't want to because it hurts. You have to trust him. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Do whatever you want to do. Do you know if I was Peter, I probably wouldn't have been able to go to that fire. Like, oh shoot, he's built that fire because he knows I I denied him. If I was Job, I don't know that whirlwind would look all that attractive. (laughs) Like, ah, that was where my kids got all lost. 
And I'm intentionally not telling you my pain right now because I don't want you to project it on me. I want you to project it on you. And I want you to imagine what you heard Jesus say to you at the beginning and bring it into this moment and encounter him. And if you're willing and you're able tonight to encounter him in that space of your pain, then I want to welcome you to, you can come to the front and deal with Jesus here. You might not have the energy or the ability to move from your seat. But we're just going to move into a time of worship. And I want to play a song for you. If Brandon, if you can cue that up, make sure it's nice and clear. You can still play it till he's ready. I love that. Never stop playing. Um, and so I have a, a prophetic picture for you. And it was confirmed by uh, Sheldon in worship as well. Okay. Is that God is going to restore... He's going to restore you to color. And he's going to... No, I don't want it yet. Hey. Thank you. Hang on. I love Brandon. Just wait. No, stay there though. I want it in a second. But he's going to restore you to color. And this is a multi-color kind of candy. And I believe that the picture that I had for you tonight is if you're willing to deal with the stuff that Jesus is going to begin to take you through. And you don't have to force it. Because you know what's really interesting about Jesus? We all have certain things of pain in our life when we're like, of course, Jesus, let's deal with this pain right now. And Jesus sometimes goes, I want to deal with that pain over here. And then it, that one takes your breath away and you're like, oh, I forgot about that one. Or I don't like that one at all. And he'll want you to come into that place. And so if you want prayer in the midst of that, then I want to invite you up here tonight. But if you deal with that, with Jesus tonight, if you let him into that space, then is a prophetic picture of the sweetness and the freshness and the color and the flavor that Jesus is going to aliven in your heart as you forgive, as you release people, as you find healing in those spaces, then I want you to take one of these candies and eat them after. Like you, I'm just going to leave it up here. And once you've done it as a prophetic act, and now some of you might not ever get off the floor, I don't know. We'll give you a candy tomorrow. But, but you can take that as a prophetic picture that he will make sweet what has been so painful. And I don't mean it just instantly is going to work out. I mean that he's going to move in the midst of your life. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to play that song and then we're going to move into response. Okay? So I'll just let you stay sitting for a moment and we're going to finish with this. And you can just hear these words. When you stand I feel for heaven tremble
Would you stand tonight for if you're able? I just want to pray over you. And I believe that that song is um, it's a powerful song. I know the girl that wrote it and she was telling me about the kind of pain that like she was going through. And it was a, it was 
that kind of a song was birthed out of pain, that Jesus stands in the middle of your situation and your circumstances. And so tonight, I'm going to pray for you and we're going to respond as accordingly to what Jesus has. And if that looks like you coming up to the front and, and spending time up here at the altar, you can. But it might look like you being at your seat and just connecting with Jesus in this time and being led by him in the midst of that. What's he saying to you and how do you want him to respond? How does he want you to respond? So I'm just going to pray. Jesus, I pray in particular that you would overwhelm the overwhelming situations. That the flood, the river of your words would flood over our fears, flood over our pain and drown them out and wash away the doubts that we have about you being good wash away the pain and the suffering for this is a very painful and broken world and yet you have come to redeem and to restore and to bring life and so I pray for life to be breathed into bodies tonight I pray that life would be breathed into minds and memories tonight that healing would be given to memories. That healing would be given to the emotions. And that you would connect the dots in our life as to how and where you have been in the midst of our pain and what you are calling us to. And we thank you for the promise that you gave to Smyrna of the crown of life. And we thank you for the promise that you were giving to us tonight of restoring us to color, restoring us in sweetness. And that even these things we will trust you with and we know you will produce good. We love you in Jesus' name.